Hello, I am Joe. And I'm Stephanie, and this is episode two of the Rants, Raves, and Rentals podcast. Last time we gave you a general overview, but today we're going to get really specific into not just the rental industry, but the trailer industry. Um, it's one of the bigger industries that we serve, um, so we're talking specifically specifically about companies that lease trailers. That's like the 18-wheeler the trailers, those ones that you see on the highway. You may not know this, but a lot of times the, um, the truck or the tractor in front that's pulling that trailer doesn't own that trailer. Those are leased a lot of times. And believe it or not, it's a pretty big industry. So we figured who better to tell us about that industry than the president of the National Trailer Dealers Association, Gwendolyn Brown. So Gwen, welcome. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about what the NTDA is? Sure. Well, thank you, Stephanie and John. Thank you so much for having me um, be a part of this. Um, so NTDA, we're a 501c6, which is kind of a technical sounding term, uh, trade association. Uh, we represent about a thousand companies that sell, manufacture, lease, and repair semi-trailers or uh, semi-trailer parts and accessories throughout North America, and um, affiliated providers that would be companies like RMI. Great. We're really, really happy to have you here today, Gwen. So like we mentioned, we're going to pick Gwen's brain um, about trailers and all of that. But um, first, I'm going to hand it over to the smart one here, Joe, um, to tell us a little bit about what the stats are saying the, the trailer industry has been doing. And then we'll all kind of have a discussion about that. Joe, take it away. So we um, make sense to echo back to last week's episode where we kind of started off the same way where I rattled off some stats. It makes sense to just quickly um, look back on this because there's certainly parallels. The American Rental Association uh, showed rosy predictions uh, in 2019 and then boom, March happened, COVID happened, and um, there were certainly drops at the end of quarter one and quarter two. And around July and August, um, the rental industry as a whole started to show improvements. And interestingly, when we looked at trailers specifically, par- paralleled that uh, as well, where in March, in April, and May, June, things were kind of dim in terms of economic uh, stability. And then uh, around July and August, there started to be some optimism. And it was uh, Trailer Body Builders, which is a trusted publication of the trailer industry, partnered with the FDR Transportation Intelligence uh, to do a market analysis. And uh, in July, uh, the output outlook for trailers um, improved and there became some clarity in the market. We saw that in July, uh, trailers uh, went from a projection of 160,000 units up from 152,000 units, which was a uh, increase and they reported that on July 2nd in a webinar and tried to see what uh, quarter three and quarter four might look like and they projected that 189,000 units um, up from 163 the prior year which was a 16% increase from the previous quarter was the outlook and um, just to put into perspective as well they showed that in April uh, the units were in the hundreds, whereas in October, 
uh, when they had great numbers, it was 30,000 units. So it was certainly on a roller coaster uh, this year, 2020, as is with everything. So um, what's interesting, too, about the trailers is um, there's this is there's not necessarily one big player, which um, is interesting that no one trailer company uh, factors into more than 5% of the market share. So you've got um, only four big players, Great Dane, East Manufacturing Corp, Dune and Specialty Trailers, and Strict Trailers that, um, that make up. So it's mostly small companies, which is, which is really interesting. I appreciate that, especially because I feel like that makes it a good reflection of the economy where, you know, 80% of workers are employed by small companies. Right. And according to the numbers that of the U.S. market, um, they make up $11 billion. So that's that gives you a broad picture. So let's um, have have Gwen uh, give a little bit of what she sees on her end in terms of numbers. Sure. Um, I would have to agree with everything that, that you've just said. Prior to the pandemic, um, I think all the economists were basically saying that um, coming off of those really great years that we had in the trailer industry in 2018 and 2019, that um, they were expecting 2020 to be more on trend, meaning it was going to be looking maybe more like 2017 numbers. So for the trailer industry specifically, March, as you pointed out, was very weak. And then April, new trailer sales were down 98%, which was devastating. So I think the leasing and rental market maybe didn't take as big of a hit as the new trailer sales did. You know, we've seen that um, June net orders were more than quadruple of that of May, which was an excellent uptick. Um, and then we started to see that cancellations were starting to ease up. So June was really kind of a turning point. July was a little softer because seasonally July just is a, a softer month. But I think right now what we're seeing um, are some significant increases in freight demand. And um, as you know, freight demand creates tractor and trailer demand, and tractor and trailer demand creates freight hauling capacity. Freight hauling capacity drives freight rates, and freight rates drive carrier cash flows, and carrier cash flows and drive equipment sales. So, um, so all of that in turn is kind of an important cycle, so to speak. Uh, we've primarily been seeing the drive-in market driving uh, new order volumes, and drive-in is really the largest industry category, so that makes sense. Um, so we're kind of right now in in the midst of an explosion in the freight market. Uh, the first ha half of the second quarter production was shut down in a lot of cases, and there were, I believe, a couple hundred thousand drivers that were unemployed at that time. Um, so I think they're forecasting that equipment's going to be a little bit tighter for next year where the driver availability, I think, is coming back. We're seeing a lot of those people coming off of unemployment because the demand is there for freight. And I think because we've seen some of those concerns about equipment availability for 2021, that's maybe driving some of the pre-buy situation, but it's also driving more of the leasing situation, rental situation, because the, the lead times are very long, so rental and leasing can be a much better option than uh, for a fleet or for an over-the-road um, situation. 
it's interesting. Economists, I think, were originally predicting that we'd see um, like a soft fall order season, and so far that's not proving to be the case. So it'll it'll be interesting to see where this all sort of ends up. But at least right now, it's looking positive uh, going into the the year end. There were a lot of things I wanted to pick out of there. Um, so f- <laughs> for one thing, I do just want to point out for everyone that this is literally the industry that is driving the economy right now. Um, if you are, you know, home and ordering things on Amazon or if, you know, as businesses are still trying to keep up Black Friday and they need these dry vans to store their extra stuff, like there's just you know, this is the moving of goods. So um, I just wanted to kind of call that out. This is the industry that keeps the entire country moving. It's interesting when they talk about, um, you know, what's essential during a pandemic. I I don't know if people always realize how essential the trucking industry has been, but it's certainly been recognized as such during the pandemic. And hopefully everyone does realize that this is how you get your goods and services. And and if it was brought to you, it was brought to you by a trucker. So um, <laughs> so we certainly owe our gratitude to them keeping the economy moving, especially during these times. For sure. Do you think, though, that, you know, because everyone is, is stuck at home and is maybe ordering even more things and there's been, you know, certain extreme demand for certain things in stores. Do you think that this growth that the industry is seeing is just, you know, a catch up of pent up demand? Um, Do you think it's actual growth? Or do you think once the economy is fully reopened, do you think we'll see, you know, a decrease? Um, Certainly, um, the online growth, I think, will only continue. And part of that is lazy Americans. Well, well, we've seen some shrinkage, you know, in in the uh, brick and mortar retail for goods, and so whether they're buying it online or in a brick and mortar store, there's still going to be um, the need for for goods and services, and so um, I, I think that we're only going to see a continuation in growth in online ordering, and that was always predicted to to be on an increase. I think we've just seen it really. Um, go even further as far as um, the online ordering now because of the pandemic. But I've seen some short-term numbers that look very good and very positive for 2021. I've seen estimated figures of um, this year, while GDP is is declining at something like a 6.5% overall decline. Um, From what I've seen, economists are, are pointing to um, an expected 4.4% increase in GDP next year. So that could be a major swing. And they say that a lot of that very positive growth is coming from both private investment and business investment. Um, I think all of this really is going to hinge on um, consumer confidence and, and whether the economy is able to continue to grow. So I don't know that we're going to see a major trend change in uh, freight unless we see some sort of another major lockdown situation if there is such a drastic second wave of, of the virus where um, that were to happen. Although, in theory, there have been assurances from the government that they would not close down the uh, economy uh, across the nation again unless people were literally dropping in the streets. 
So hopefully we're, we're managing the pandemic better now as we've kind of stumbled out of the first wave and yeah. have, have gotten a lot of learning from that. So we'll, we'll see what happens, though, as, as everything that's, kind of... That's where along. everyone is. We'll just see what happens, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What about um, the the NTDA, the association itself? Has the pandemic had effects there as well? Yeah, absolutely. Just like every other company, we certainly um, you know felt the effect of that. Probably the the biggest impact has been the cancellation of our in person convention this year. Um, I believe it's also been a bit more difficult to recruit new members this year, only because we haven't had those in-person trade shows and events that we normally go to. About a third of our new members usually come organically from other members recruiting or referring other members to us, so we've seen a little dip in that. It, you know, it's been difficult financially for us this year. We had to lay off staff. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's been a difficult year, but we're, we're crossing on and moving forward and and certainly hoping for the very best for the coming year. Yeah. And we do want um, to talk more about the trade shows later, so we'll bring that up. But Joe's been pounding on my wall over here with another question for you. (laughs) Well, I just want to circle back to the FTR analysis in Q2. Certainly they saw some economic uh, troubles, but it was interesting. They noted that the OEMs, um, they almost seemed like to say that they had a catastrophe plan in place and they really patted them on the shoulder for um, how well they managed the production and the supply chain. So it was almost as though they had a, a catastrophe plan that it would have been much worse had they not. Uh, and and basically, um, that's what it brings me to is talking about an optimistic outlook. Uh, you were saying before there's uncertainty with the pandemic. However, if, you know, God willing, the, uh, you know, there's a virus, it's a cure. We all go back to what life used to be like in 2019. Um, do you see any uh, long lasting effects because of what happened um, in the pandemic and for, for trailers? Uh, are there any long-lasting repercussions that you anticipate? That's a great question, Joe. Um, I mean, I guess it goes without saying that there's been a, a human, a social, a financial, and an economic impact uh, with regard to COVID-19. You know, it's impossible to measure human suffering, but I guess we can measure the impact on our specific markets. You know, certainly the U.S. and Canadian economies suffered some deep declines uh, that resulted from the shutdowns in the wake of, of the pandemic. Um, and I think everyone's hopes have sort of been pinned on economic recovery. So I, I think a lot of it, you know, is pinned on um, a viable vaccine. And I think that that will boost everyone's confidence. But in terms of business repercussions, um, you know, I think... What I've heard is that it's going to take years to get back to full employment. I hope that's not the case, but it certainly could be. Um, a lot of statistics point to a quarter of the female workforce um, could very well drop out of the payroll due to child care concerns, and that could have a major impact. Um, likewise, you know, we've seen a huge problem not only in the trailer industry, but across the U.S., 
um, not being able to find skilled employees, and, and also employees who can pass a drug test. So those are huge concerns just in general for um, economic recovery from an employment standpoint. And I've talked about this in our in the NTD's Market Outlook publication uh, several times that, you know, a lot of people um, just kind of throw out there that we need to bring manufacturing back to the U.S., and that's all well and good. But um, we've not seen significant increases in productivity in the U.S. over really in the past 10 years. And in order to increase manufacturing, we have to increase automation in the U.S. if we, are, if we have all these issues in terms of employment. So, um, you know, another important point, and I think this really kind of goes to, um, to what RMI does, um, uh, you know, another point that I really try to drive home, especially in the industry, is the use of technology on all levels to improve productivity and efficiency, and especially within the trailer dealerships, because not only has the nature of how business is done changed over time, but also how trailer technology itself is becoming smarter and it's going to continue to evolve over the next 10 to 20 years, our businesses and industry have to be more prepared and have to prepare itself for that evolution and for any market disruptors that are going to come along. So I think um, just that understanding and adoption of technology in our industry especially is going to be critical to our success over time. You brought up a lot of good points there, and I hadn't heard the statistic about, you know, a quarter of the female workforce could drop out because of childcare. But that's I know that um, some of like some of my coworkers, they have kids and they're having to decide if they're going to homeschool. But even some of the days a week, if they're virtual, they have to be home and, you know, have their kids go to school. So that's I didn't even consider that fact. And at first, I what a a difficult dilemma for anyone that has children right now in school but yeah i have seen those statistics and that could really um change the dynamic in general of of the workforce going forward yeah and for a while i thought that you know there there's pent-up demand you know this once the economy reopens we'll get propped back up but the longer we've stayed um shut down i think that this is kind of becoming a lifestyle change now though i think there is some you know, back up in demand and that, you know, once we're fully reopened, all industries will hopefully start to recover. It, it makes sense that it'll take years for employment to get back. And about the, the drug testing and, you know, finding the employees like that, those are all things that fortunately for me, I haven't had to think about, but that I'm sure a lot of our listeners do. Yeah, I've seen statistics that say something like 45% of shop employees cannot pass a drug test. And so that's a really critical problem that we have. And I know that while um, marijuana has become legal, that's also a really sticky point for our industry because on the one hand, um, people need to have employees, they need to have workers. On a federal level, marijuana is not legal, but on a state level it is. And, but you cannot have people who are actively participating in drug use working with heavy equipment. It's just it's not right. a, a good mix. And so... Um, you know, this is one of those really large-scale issues that I think at some point is going to have to be addressed in our country because, you know, we're just finding that that's really detrimental to um, to the employment situation in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, not only does the NTDA give guidance economically, 
um, to the trailer industry, but you guys guide uh, in general as well. And didn't know if there was any new policies or procedures that um, needed to be put in place, or at least you needed to to guide uh, the trailer industry as they put them in place individually. Uh, that that may have come on your radar, maybe in terms of just mask wearing, um, going from one state to the next if they have a different policy on lockdown. Um, was there anything of that nature that you guys had to to give guidance on? Um, that's a, a good question, Joe. So we've um, provided information whenever we've had updates from OSHA or guidance in the workforce relative to uh, COVID-19. And um, there are certainly um, certain employment, uh, Department of Labor policies and things in place. And and some of those have changed over time um, in terms of uh, temperature checks and mask wearing and that sort of thing. And some of that varies by state. And some is also um, a corporate policy situation. And so um, we've just tried to provide whatever guidance and guidelines that are available. And in talking with a lot of the, the manufacturers and dealers, um, we've seen a lot of them um, have said that they've been spending a lot of money on um, cleaning, a lot of money on additional personnel to clean their facilities um, to ensure that um, that they've got um, a germ-free workplace as much as um, possible. And I know that that's been an added expense both for manufacturers and dealers alike. Understandably, um, Certainly yeah. in the beginning of the pandemic, we uh, I know we saw some manufacturers were shut down for a few weeks where uh, there were high cases in certain regions. But it seems like that um, we haven't really seen shutdowns since maybe March or April. So that's been positive. Um, and, and also because the industry was deemed essential, I think initially there were some companies that felt that they had to shut down. But then uh, when the government said, no, this is an essential industry, then um, those indus- those dealers and manufacturers chose to stay open. But again, with certain guidelines in place. Um, I know one of the things that's been a little bit difficult for um, the industry in general, dealers and manufacturers alike have to give employees paid time off if they suspect that they may be COVID positive and and that can be difficult for them from a productivity standpoint if if you've got an employee that has to be off for um, 14 days or possibly longer if they're ill. So I have one more question um, that's COVID related and then we'll lighten things up a little. Um, But obviously you mentioned earlier this has had an impact on the NTDA's annual trade show Um, And I know for this year, for example, you're working on making it virtual and um, are doing a fabulous job, by the way. But what adaptations have you had to do for this year? What's this look going to look like next year? Just tell us in general a little bit more about the NTDA trade shows and what has had to change. Yeah, absolutely. So we had a couple of uh, training programs that we had planned for this year, as well as our in-person convention, and um, unfortunately had to postpone all of those. So um, this year's program, basically, we lifted and shifted uh, that program to 2024. So uh, we'll see everyone in Indian Wells in 2024. And, um, And we really, really had hoped um, all along that we would still be able to have the program in 2020. So we um, pushed the program back from October to November. And I think we all were hoping that everything would um, 
would subside and that uh, that the pandemic would um, decrease. But um, because the program was scheduled to be in Indian Wells, um, that particular county um, twofold had a couple of issues. One, it kind of became a COVID-19 hotspot, but then also they were having uh, some wildfire issues out there. So that cumulative situation just really um, made for um, a situation where the California governor decided that there would be uh, no in-person events um, of any size. So uh, we've decided to launch a virtual convention like probably every other association out there. And that will launch on Tuesday, November 4th, which is the day after the presidential election. So go out and vote uh, the day before. Mm -hmm. And um, so the uh, our virtual convention will be free to all attendees this year. Basically, um, on the home screen, you just sign in, um, just enter your, your name and company information. Uh, each sponsor and exhibitor will have a page um, that features their product photos, literature, social media, sales contacts. Um, some of them have videos. We have pre-recorded educational sessions as well as some live sessions that will be available. And then throughout the year, uh, we will have um, some virtual webinars. We'll have some virtual coffee chats and some virtual roundtable discussions that will um, bring people back to the site. And then um, so we'll, we'll have a variety of different things kind of throughout the, the coming months. Um, some of our sponsors have offered to provide uh, gifts and things. So there might be some cool swag in it uh, for people that um, log on to the virtual site. Um, and then uh, one of the things that we're looking at adding right now is a forum for attendees to post questions um, so that we can have some dialogue and some networking online as well. Oh, I love that. Uh, we'll also be rec- – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I just said I, I love that. Oh, okay. Oh, great. Thanks. This is our 30th anniversary, so we were hoping to do a much better in-person version of recognizing our members, but we will be recognizing our members online. We also have some fun trailer trivia on the site. Uh, we also have information about our NCDA scholarship program, which um, I just want to um, take a moment to thank everyone that contributed to our scholarship fund this year. We we normally, our in-person um, golf outing uh, helps to really fund that, and last year it was rained out, and then this year it was canceled, and um, so I was really kind of feeling down about the fact that we didn't have a lot of money to offer our um, scholarship applicants this year. So we had a very generous donor who offered to match the first $5,000, and we actually raised $45,500 in donations, and we were able to give out 29 scholarships this year. That's fantastic. Very, very excited about that. And so that's very exciting. So it's a a big ray of sunshine in an otherwise maybe not as um, great year. Yeah. Oh, that was kind of fun. Oh, snaps for donors. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, absolutely. Well, let's keep the sunshine shining. We won't talk about anything pandemic. Um, how did you personally get your start in trailers? You know, people ask me that a lot. Like, how on earth did you end up in the trailer industry? Um, and I, I think um, I get that. I get asked it a lot because I'm one of the few uh, females, uh, I guess, in the uh, trailer association world. I'll say that. Um, so my background originally was in broadcasting and in publishing, and then um, 
I started working in association management back in 1996. So this makes me sound really old. Um, <laughs> so I started work, <laughs> working for the Engineering Society of Detroit. And then um, at some point, I was at a meeting and I met uh, Jim Carney, who was the um, executive director of the National Truck Equipment Association. And um, ended up at some point interviewing with Jim and became the um, communications director for the NTEA, the Truck Equipment Association. And then during that time, NTEA began managing the truck e- or the Trailer Dealers Association. So I was very familiar with the industry and its members. And then um, I guess it was back in 2010. Um, there was kind of a, a change in the management, and uh, NCDA decided that they wanted to have sort of just their own autonomous organization, and, um, and so they asked me if I would serve as their executive director, so I've been with them now um, over 10 years as, as president, so it's been pretty exciting. Congrats. That's great. Yeah, and, um, thank you. Gwen, I'm going to take over the mound for Stephanie and lob you a softball question <laughs> as well. So if you could tell me, what's your favorite thing about the trailer industry? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I would say hands down uh, for me is people. Um, the people that work in this industry are absolutely great. They're salt-of-the-earth, hardworking individuals that have built their businesses from the ground up. And, you know, this is this is like the epitome of America, right? I mean, this is exactly, you know, what, what you think of when you think about the American success story right here in the trailer industry. Um, so, I, I mean, just it's, it's just a great group of people, and I really miss seeing everyone this year. I feel the glow through the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I do. I do really miss seeing everybody this year, but I am so looking forward to next year. And um, I, I really, really think that we will have our in-person event next year in Whistler. Uh, it's going to be October sixth through the eighth next year up in Whistler, British Columbia. So I really hope that we can see everyone then. I hope so too. And actually, we might um, we may throw a couple new members your way um, because as as you know. RMI creates software for companies in the trailer leasing industry, and we've actually had a lot of new trailer customers recently that were quite small. They were just starting out. Um, so they have a relatively small fleet. They have one or two people running the company. So what recommendations do you have for people that are wanting to get started in the trailer industry or for those that are just starting out? Oh, that's a great question. I would say that, um, you know, a lot of our companies are, or the members are small to mid-sized companies. It's really the bulk of, of the members. And um, I would recommend that they use resources um, like RMI and um, use organizations that make up the NTDA. So network with other dealers and manufacturers and the service providers like RMI to gain a better understanding of what works well for other companies and make those connections so they can pick up new product lines, but also to connect um, together to do more business together. Um, you know, what we try to do is help our members understand the regulatory environment surrounding the industry. Um, and we also try to help our members understand the business environment and, and ways that they can make their business more productive and efficient. So, um, and as I mentioned earlier, it's so important to have that 
that technology and that foundational system in place so that uh, companies, especially the small ones, can compete and stay fast-paced and ever-changing marketplace. So, yeah, my, my advice is get in their network and learn as much as possible about the industry. I do want to and, say and we... Many... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say there's so many members out there absolutely willing to help and, and so many companies out there and so many resources available for that. I can really vouch for that, too, when we go to the trade shows. They are super helpful, and everyone there is there for a good time with, even though they're competitors, it's like they're all buddies. Um, but but I do want to say, listeners, we did not tell her to say that, but basically her advice was use RMI and go to the NTDA trade shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, really, any um, connections that people can make in the industry really help to bolster their business. And and again, I mean, this is a great industry. People are extremely friendly, extremely helpful. And I think, you know, that's the beauty of it. Because members are spread out, you can really find um, other companies that are non-competitive, not in your area that you can talk to, use as a resource, bounce ideas off of. But, but there are lots and lots of great service providers like RMI out there that um, that you can certainly turn to for assistance and to, to really help bolster your business. Well, Gwen, we so, so appreciate your time um, talking to us today. Um, I do want to, um, before we wrap up, what are the best, what's the best way that people can get a hold of you or get in touch with the NTDA um, to get access to some of those resources you talked about? Oh, thank you. Well, Certainly, absolute pleasure, and again, it's such a privilege. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so our website is www.ntda.org, and uh, certainly you can go on there and find a, a wealth of information, but you can always contact me at 1-800-800-4552 or 810-229-5960, or you can email me at Gwen, G-W-E-N, at ntda.org. Awesome. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, they can always rewind and listen again, so it's fine. Um, and Joe, how can people get a hold of us if they want to um, submit ideas, be a future guest, reach out and tell us how wonderful we are? How can they get in touch with us? Sure thing. Um, they can certainly reach out to us via email at marketing at rmiusa.com. And um, we're also on social media, Twitter handle at RMI Corp. And we are also on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. And we are on WordPress with our blog. So you can find that at the RMIUSA.com site. Or you can go directly to WordPress and see our blog at RMIAdvantage.wordpress.com. Awesome. And if you want to listen to the first episode of Rants, Raves, and Rentals podcast, we're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. If you just Google Rants, Raves, and Rentals podcast, you will find us. Um, But thank you, Joe. Thank you, Gwen. Thank you, listeners. Uh, I hope everyone has a great rest of the day.